Well, if you want to shuffle through your large amount of handouts that we have today uh, and open up to the order of service there, you'll see the, um, the, order, the outline of the sermons there. Uh, we're going to be looking at this passage and, and uh, trying to apply it to our lives a bit today. But let's, uh, as we begin, let's ask for God's help because this is his word. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, that it is clear and that it is straightforward in reminding us who we are and what you have done in history. We pray today as we look at this passage in Romans 8, that it would show us the goal of suffering and the goal of frustration, your goal for this whole world. We pray that you would open up its message to us, be convicting us of our sin, be giving us comfort where we need it and joy and hope where we need that too. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I found out on the internet the other day that Lego have done something amazing. Uh, they have actually released a pair of slippers that you can wear uh, when you go walking through the house at night time. And they're slippers that are designed to protect your feet from stray bits of Lego. Which, if you've, if you've heard me talk about Lego on the floor before uh, in, in my sermons, you'll know that I hate standing on Lego. And uh, I know it's, I'm not in that hatred. Uh, but they've, they've released these slippers and they're these funny looking little Lego slippers that you can walk around in and not worry about uh, treading on any wayward stray pieces of Lego. And I thought about that and in context of this passage, it's really interesting how it highlights for us that so much of our world is obsessed with avoiding pain. Obsessed with avoiding suffering. Now, you know, a pair of Lego slippers are neither here nor there, but if you look at anyone's life, a large amount of what we do is avoiding difficulty and frustration and pain. It's avoiding things which would cause us or others difficulty or frustration or pain. Many of us are well acquainted with frustration. Uh, I, know, I know the fellas have been uh, doing some harvesting these last few weeks and I know that that's been a cause of great frustration, uh, what with uh, wet crops and also crops that just haven't produced in the way that we thought that they would. Uh, frustration with relationships possibly as well in, in ways in conversations that you have with people where you feel like you've made a point and you feel like they agree with you and then day after day or time after time you find that that sin in either your life or their life continues to raise its head and you get frustrated and you think did, did anything that I say sink into this person or maybe we have also more frustration with our work as in the harvest or, or in, uh, in, in injury or pain or not being able to work as much as you'd like or even frustration with yourself uh, uh, frustration with yourself is one of those things which is really uh, really prevalent when we start to take our sin seriously. Frustration and suffering is the subject of today's passage. If you go back to verse 17, have a look at what Paul says. Paul says, now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now you see the link there at the end of that verse? It almost, almost seems like a catch. When Paul says, yes, we're, we're heirs, provided we suffer. Provided we go through frustration, futility and suffering so that we can share in his glory. If we want glory, he says, we must suffer. 
The Christian life, as we pursue glory, is not about avoiding suffering. It's not about chasing it down, but it's also not about avoiding it. So today he introduces us, God introduces us to three realities that are there to encourage us. And the first two of these realities uh, we may be well acquainted with, but the third one we may not be. And he's actually going to open us to two of these realities and then show us the third one to kind of sum it up for us. And those, those realities we're going to summarise in the three points of the sermon. If you've got your order of service there, we have the three points. First off, we see in verses 18 to 22 that creation is groaning. Creation is groaning. Second, in verse 23 to 25, we see that Christians are groaning. Christians are groaning. And finally, verses 26 to 27, we see that God himself groans. Let's have a look at the first point. In verse 18, uh, Paul gives us this heading for this section where he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He starts off this section by saying the things that we're going through, the suffering that you've got to go through in order to receive the glory is not comparable to the glory. The things that are going to happen to us now, we can't even compare to what it's going to be like when this glory is revealed in us or to us. For every person that follows Jesus, suffering ends in glory. Something glorious waits and it's not worth comparing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, I'll go there now. Paul gives us a bit more of an idea of this. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16 to 18. If you want to write that down to follow up on later, this is one of the best passages in 2 Corinthians. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So here back in 8.18, he's saying that we see something now, but there's something that we don't see, a glory we don't yet see. And this is not worth comparing to what we don't see. But we have got, in the meantime, the two things that we see and the one thing that we don't, uh, here to encourage us. So look with me at verses 19 to 22. Here we have the introduction that under frustration, under suffering, creation is groaning. Look at verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So when he says creation, he means the world around us, the things that we see, the mountains, the oceans, the plains, the fields, everything around us we see is groaning and waiting. But he also means the created order. The created order. So relationships and government and uh, uh, things that exploit other people and our work, all of these things. The created order is also waiting for something. Literally, the word that he uses here is kind of like, uh, in, in verse 19, literally it's kind of like creation's kind of standing on tippy-toes and straining to see something in the future. 
Creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation saying, when is the renewal going to come? When is God going to return and make all things new? And we all know this, don't we? We all know the suffering that creation, that creation can cause, the frustration that creation can cause, and it's all back to its root in Genesis 3. Look at, look at what he says in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who is the one who subjected it? It's God. God actually took creation and subjected it, put it under frustration. We don't think about that much, do we? That God is actually doing something when he curses creation back in Genesis 3. He's actually doing that in verse 21 in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So God has a project for creation. God has a project for this world. The created order and the created things, the mountains and the seas and the valleys and the flood, uh, the plains. All of this, God has subjected to frustration so that one day it will be liberated. It will be freed from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Everything is expressing creation's longing for renewal. Because sin affects everything. You know, in, in that curse back in Genesis 3, where God cursed Adam and Eve and he cursed the land because of them. Everything is broken and God cursed creation so that everything can be renewed. Okay, so that's his big point there. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Childbirth, I've been assured that childbirth is quite a painful experience. Uh, I was there for, for all of them and it wasn't, wasn't very pleasant for me. I think uh, a lot of us don't. Don't think about dads and, and the pain that we have to go through in childbirth. But, uh, but mums, childbirth is an incredibly painful thing, but it ends with joy. And that's the point that he's making. There is, uh, the whole creation is going through this painful, racking, horrible pain so that something joyful can come, so that something wonderful is in the future. God cursed creation so that everything can be renewed. Second, first we saw creation is groaning. Now we see that Christians are groaning. Look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we've gone through a few chapters in Romans. We've gone through uh, the, the pain in Romans 7 of seeing our sin, of seeing this ongoing work of sin in our lives. And that can cause inwardly, when we look at our sin, Real frustration. But like we said before, there's, there's other frustration and suffering that we go through. Frustration with our work, with others, with ourselves. And so in the time as we wait, there's a real, there's, there's a sense in which we are both patient and impatient. Look at the, the way that he talks about it. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. I, I was never good at waiting for Christmas. I was always the one who kind of peeked out of the door, thought, you know, thinking, oh, Santa must have come already. Has he come? Has he gone? Mum and Dad go to bed. Uh, I was terrible at waiting for Christmas. I was good at waiting eagerly, impatiently. And, uh, and I remember many sleepless nights before Christmas came. 
so there's that impatience that we have as we're waiting for our adoption as sons, the thing that's going to happen in the future as we become God's and he becomes ours. But also, look down at verse 25, we hope for what we do not yet have and we wait for it patiently. So we're both patient and impatient. How does that work? Well, we say, come Lord Jesus. Come now, make this world new. When we look at the suffering of others, as we look at our own suffering and frustration, we say, come Lord Jesus. At the same time as we say, let your will be done. I will wait patiently because I know that God has everything in control. We are patient and impatient. We know reality and we're waiting for that reality. I read about a, a, a famous composer this week. I didn't, the composer wasn't actually named, uh, but he had a, a bit of a wayward son. And, and I love the sound of this son. He used to, he used to go out at night time and, and do all these things, but he'd come home and he'd want to frustrate his dad. And so he'd, he'd go to his father's study, where his father's piano was, and he'd play the first seven notes in a scale, loudly and slowly. Da, da, da. Sorry, Rhonda, I'm terrible at singing. Da, 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 da. And then he'd go to bed. And his dad's asleep upstairs, well, up until the time that the scale began. And every time he did that, he knew that his dad was going to come down and finish the scale. And that would be it. It would be done. It would be finished. He knew that he could frustrate his dad. But his father had this impatient waiting and longing for this scale to be finished. And for us as Christians, that, that's where we're at. We're on the seventh note of that scale when things are just about to finish. And so that should, in us, create a feeling of impatience and longing for Jesus to return. When we see things happen in our own country or overseas, injustice and suffering and pain... We, we want to finish this. We want this to end. And so in verse 24 he says, Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We hope for what we do not yet have. He's pointing again back to this is what we see and this is the glory to come. We don't see the glory to come but we hope in that. And we wait patiently for that. And so all this suffering now, and here is the key for us, all this suffering now, all this frustration is here to make us ready for what's to come. To make us long for what's to come. When we see the frailty of our bodies, when we see the frailty of life and of creation, it makes us long for what's to come, that which we don't see. So they're the two things that we see, aren't they? We see, we see the frustration of creation. We feel the frustration of ourselves, Christians waiting. But God adds for us this great point that we don't see. God is groaning too. Look at verse 26. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. That words cannot express. God is groaning too. God looks at this world and he doesn't say, well, everything's fine and dandy. My people are suffering. Creation's, uh, creation is overturning and groaning in pains of childbirth. Great. That's exactly how I want it to be. 
No, he groans with us. He groans with you. And it's expressed particularly here in prayer. I don't know if you've ever sat down and... and I'm I'm a terrible prayer. I'm going to admit that to you guys. I am terrible at praying. I sit down with a list of things to pray for and I start praying for something and I say, oh, yeah, I pray for this person. Lord, um pray that you'd be helping them and all of a sudden the prayers start to become really self-serving and I say well that, and they said something really mean to me the other day so I, look, I, Lord I pray that you'd, you'd convict them of that and then I say I really wish they didn't say that mean thing to me why did they say that is there something wrong with me and all of a sudden I'm off on a tangent and I'm not praying anymore and I'm thinking about something else and I think maybe I'll just check their Facebook to see if they've said anything about it and then I'm off on Facebook see the, the prayer is frustrating Because we don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. Because we're hoping for what we don't see. We don't see Jesus now. But right now, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, particularly in what we don't know what to pray for. Because when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes. Verse 26 says, Spirit stands between us and God. And his groans, his groans, can't be expressed in words. We don't know what to say, but the Spirit does. So there's a reality for you, for every one of us. Daily, not only we've been prayed for by Jesus, we've been prayed for by the Spirit who lives in us. He intercedes for us. And check this out. Verse 27. The Spirit who searches our hearts knows... Uh, So he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's a very confusing sentence, but I'll summarise it for you. The Spirit knows what God wants. Very straightforward. The Spirit's God. The Holy Spirit is God. He knows what God wants. And so when God looks to us who have the Spirit within us, it's as though God is praying to himself, for his will. And so when we pray our really weak and terrible prayers, God hears them as God speaking to himself. God hears them as perfected. God hears them as the best as ever. So we've seen that the, the whole creation and every, all the order of things now with the world and our relationships and everything is pointing us forward to something else. The suffering of our world is pointing us to the glory that's to come. And so Christians, like we said at the start, should not be suffering avoiders. We shouldn't hide from suffering. We shouldn't go around and chase it out. We shouldn't go and stand in front of a car. That would be dumb. But avoiding suffering for Jesus' name is not a Christian approach. Because suffering reminds us of what's to come. And there's a big link between suffering and glory. So I'm going to apply this in a few ways now. First off, we've talked a bit about prayer, but I want, I want us to all think about how we can, this week, allow ourselves to pray. I often hold myself back from praying. I say, I'm a terrible prayer, so I'm not going to do it today. I sit down to pray and I think, I'm, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to say it right. If this passage is right, then it doesn't matter. Allow yourself to pray. 
Don't be bound up by feelings of guilt or inadequacy. The Spirit encourages you to pray and the Spirit prays for you and the Spirit intercedes for you. In the same way, then, encourage yourself to pray. Allow yourself to pray and encourage yourself to pray. Because if the Spirit is working in you, then he'll teach you to pray. Next, don't get ahead of the story. Like we've just said, Christians shouldn't be suffering avoiders. We are here. We are not yet here. And here, where there is suffering, where there is frustration, we should expect to see it. This passage is here to equip us with what to do with it. What do we do with suffering? We remember the point of it is to make us long for glory. So don't get ahead of the story. Remember where you are and what God is doing in your life now. But also, don't get behind the story. If you're in suffering and frustration and futility, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, your weight of others' sin, then don't forget that Jesus is coming to make anything new. He could be here this afternoon. And so await with eager expectation the glory that's to come. If you're feeling the frailty of your body, if you're feeling the frailty of your relationships, glory is coming soon. So we've seen these two realities that we see every day, the world and ourselves groaning under the weight of sin and the brokenness of the world. But we see God groans with us and he's doing something about it. Let's be encouraged by that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much that we could say about suffering. Uh, We know that it is not what you want for this world. Instead, Father, it's a necessity that will make us long for glory, the thing to come. As we wait for the glory that you're going to reveal to us, we pray that you'd make us both patient and impatient. Patient under trial. Steadfast, knowing that something is yet to come. And also impatient. Praying, Lord Jesus, return, come soon. How long, O Lord, how long? We pray, Father, for strength to do these things. And we pray that as we've looked at this passage today, you would encourage us. Continue to encourage us in prayer and Bible reading and and being reminded of what's to come. And pray, Father, for all of us who are tempted to avoid suffering, to avoid doing hard things. Lord, I pray for myself as well in those things, that you would help us to see what suffering produces, the glory of Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen.